The Braving Business Podcast is brought to you by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit and have been in the domestic and international logistics and transportation field for over three decades. Are you looking to ship literally anything, direct to consumer or business to business, small package, pallet and freight, truckload, international air and ocean, warehousing and distribution, and so much more? Let's connect. Go to shipwithpj.com to learn more. That's shipwithpj.com. And now for the show. Well, hello there, Mister Benoit. How are you, sir? Mister, I know Zlanitsky. you're. I know you're a quarter Ashkenazi Jew. Did you actually celebrate Rosh Hashanah? Um, yes, through you, I did. Ah, well, that's great. I'm glad I was able to be there for you. <laughs> you're you're always there for me, Tom. Heather. Do you celebrate Rosh Hashanah? I do not. You do not. Okay. Well, yeah. I I did it for all of you. I'm I, excellent. Uh, glad to say yeah. I. I uh, I did not go to services. I'm embarrassed to say I intended to go to services two days in a row, and uh, and life got in the way. And I hope that God forgives me. But I will be there for uh, Yom Kippur, which is uh, which is this later this week. I never missed that. Right? That's the that's the one where if you don't show up, uh, you get written in the book of life, and, and not in not in the chapter you want to be written in. So uh, that one I'm going to show up for. But this this week it was more celebratory. I I gave myself uh, permission uh, to not be there. Well, thank you. I mean, so are you are you able to celebrate on our behalf? Is it like Irish, like uh, St. Patty's Day, where everyone's Irish? Is on Rosh Hashanah? Can we all celebrate together? Um, you know, it depends, right? So, so I would say yes. Um, I, I'll tell you a, a story. I have a I have members of my family that are uh, Orthodox Jews. They were not born Orthodox Jews. They became Orthodox Jews. And uh, and I came to learn, and I did not know that my my ex wife converted to Judaism. She was not born a Jew. And, uh, and there were some, some medical reasons that we needed. We, we sought prayer for her and they wouldn't pray for her, which I thought was, was quite gross. Oh. So, uh, but I would say to you, PJ, I am, I would gladly with joy, uh, pray for you. And of course for you as well, Heather. So, uh, uh, without any doubts, I'm, I'm happy to do it for you. I'm there. I'm there for you, PJ. Wow. Thank you. I'm, I'm your resident Jew. And proud I of it. I think I've been invited to a celebration as the guest, uh, the non-Jewish guest cool. with my family, which was incredible and delightful. So yeah, it was. Aww. Yeah, yeah. Well, Heather, <laughs> let's let's find out a little bit more about you. Why you are are such an easy guest to have in regards to celebrating and and joining all of us together. I think that would be wonderful. We're we're very excited to be getting in you know, getting an in-depth look into you and, and what your views are on resiliency and all that kind of fun stuff. So, um, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have a fanboy moment and lot about you. And then, uh, then we can get to <laughs> get to the questions. That'd be awesome. Thank you. So our guest today, as I just mentioned, is Heather Dawson. Heather is a highly experienced technology executive. And you know what? We just like to call her a tech powerhouse. She's just amazing. As a leader, she's been uh, a part of three very successful exits, ranging anywhere from $60 million to $500 million. Um, Heather, at one point, I will ask if I can borrow $499 million from you. <laughs> I'll take the other million. <laughs> Her career began at a company that's so darn famous 
that there is a cliche that says that no one gets fired for hiring it. Um, Tal, that's your, that's your trivia question. Who is that? What, what company is that? Well, it's got to be IBM. Well, that's true. At IBM, Heather served in senior sales positions, leading a software sales division within the information management organization for over a decade. Heather brings ex expertise across the spectrum of a company's journey, from the challenging startup phase to the expansion phases that require more sophisticated operational execution. She does the whole gamut. Uh, one phrase that comes up often when speaking about Heather is that she's an operational wizard, someone who collaborates closely with founders to bridge the gap between solving important problems and steering the company to high growth. Currently, Heather is the COO of Ergsol. Did I say that right? Ergsol? Yep. Mm -hmm. Ergsol, a company that provides carbon-free heating and cooling systems and primarily works with high polluters to reduce their carbon footprint as well as she's the CEO, COO of eTip, a digital tipping solution that aims to bridge the wealth gap. She is also the co-founder of No Wildfires, a detection and defense solution that protects, from, protects all of us from wildfires, which, as we all know, is an, increasingly, is an increasingly serious problem for our planet. Heather, you got a lot going on. I'm stumbling all over my words. Uh, <laughs> so, and, and she's the one that probably doesn't sleep, and you're the I, one stumbling I know, over the words. I I, I've slept through many of our interviews just because you have. You know, yeah, that's. But narcolepsy. you've done you've done even better. Thanks. in those interviews. Thanks, I think. man. Thank you. Um, yeah. It's an honor to have you on the Braving Business Podcast. It's it's an honor to be here. Um, I've listened to your other guests, and I I love that you're exploring the adversity part because um, anybody who's been on the entrepreneurial journey knows that adversity is your friend. <laughs> you got to make peace with that early on and uh, embrace it. Wow. And if you don't, uh, yeah, life's going to be even tougher. Um, yeah, Heather, I, uh, I obviously you and I have known each other uh, a while and I've, I've always admired you and I, uh, I I've, I've seen you work up close and, and uh, I've seen the impact that you have on organizations. Uh, I was really fascinated as I as I learned more about you. I didn't know some of the background story um, that you you came from what you called financial scarcity background. I'd love to hear a little about that, and um, you know, to tell us what 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 in that background impacted your interest in entrepreneurship and um, tech entrepreneurship specifically. Sure. So. Um... What happened was uh, my parents um, uh, got divorced when I was quite young, and my dad was a high-powered executive, um, and my mom just really didn't have the financial knowledge. And so with each year after they got um, divorced, we kind of became less wealthy. And so things that, uh, uh, you know, we used to be middle class and th then those things sort of disappeared and we couldn't replace shoes and we couldn't replace cars. And we went from an owned house to a rented house to no house at all. And so as it impacted me as a young person growing up that, that security was really, really important to me. And I never wanted that to happen to me. And I just thought that this was normal. This happened to everybody. And so I was looking for how does wealth creation happen? How does wealth creation happen when you don't have anything to begin with? And I thought I, I kind of became exposed to what was happening in Silicon Valley. 
And these companies, you know, I worked at IBM. I had this gift where I got in there quite young. And um, and so I thought, well, this is great. Uh, but what about these companies that are coming out of nowhere and suddenly their market valuation and their and their contribution into the industry is so dramatic that they're being valued more? How does that happen? What is, what is the magic about founders? What is the magic about the problem? How do the investors play in that ecosystem? And I just became curious in my early 20s. And um, I left uh, Canada. I moved from Canada to Silicon Valley with the, the gift of IBM helping me and started working with founders locally as business partners. And I I just became more and more curious about it and then um, became a founder and a startup CEO and and, and kind of have, have seen all sides of it now. That is really, really cool. I I completely get and empathize with your origin story. Uh, very much the same. Like you could be my long lost sister. We <laughs> kind of went through the same thing. And uh, well, I you're saw, wearing very similar looking glasses, so well, maybe you are in fact related. We we maybe. might be. We're in in spirit. We are we're brethren. Um, but you know, I I I fully appreciate your your outlook, right? Like, I think that when you go through adversity like that at a young age, it forces you to kind of take a step back and look at the world through a wider lens because you're not, you're not so, uh, you're, you're not really benefiting from being in an insular environment. You're having to kind of feel your way through it all. And, you know, like, yeah, like there was no safety net, right? Like the safety net was a homeless family. So you, you, you had to take risks and you had to figure it out. And I mean, that's, that's fundamentally what entrepreneurship is. You start with an idea, dust and dirt, and then you create something and that something has value and it becomes exceedingly valuable to the, to the people who, who use it and who, who live by it. And maybe it's even life-saving or maybe it's even highly impactful, but, but it starts with basically nothing. Sure. And, and that's, that's magical, but it's also really hard. Like, you know, dirt is dirt at the beginning. <laughs> well, also like, and, and being in tech, right? Like it, it seems there's so much adversity in the tech world. There's so much pressure and uncertainty. I, I look at tech to me is, is a, is a segment of entrepreneurship where it's almost like edamame. Like people are just like flipping through tech like really fast, right? It's growing very fast. It's, it's, uh, um, I have never heard that analogy. Uh, you know what? I just, edamame. edamame is just, wow. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's, it's so, it's so fast paced. It's, it's, there's so much pressure. There's so much money in it, but there's so much pressure in it. Like with all your diverse roles in this, how do you, how do you handle that kind of pressure when you're, when you're working with people, dust and dirt, you know, how do you, how do you handle that? Well, um, what I'm looking at now is focusing on um, companies that I'm really passionate about. And so passion in the founder, because you're starting with, it's just hard work at the beginning. And if you don't have the passion, you can't carry it through. So all of the companies are solving problems that are exceedingly personal to me. And the company that I was a CEO of also was, uh, is solving the bridging the wealth gap. And, and that's, you know, it's actually really hard. That's an exceedingly difficult world problem. 
Um, and so is climate change. And so are wildfires. I built a house and it's in a wildfire region. And so th- th- I think that's part of it is that is if you work on something that you're really passionate about, then you can apply the framework of that business value against that. What is the problem? Is the customer ready to pay for it? Um, how, what are they doing today? Uh, is this 25 to 100 times better? Because if it's not, like small incremental innovation isn't enough to warrant the effort to overcome the market entry, right? And and so, you know, it's kind of like I have a framework from my business background, but I apply it to problems that I care a lot about. And I'm less focused on the exit and the, the margin play that I think the investor uh, community often does, right? So AI is big now, but it feels like there's this very trendy it used to be data, big data, and now it's AI. And what's the next latest thing? And that that doesn't that isn't by itself isn't solving a real problem. The real problems are what companies go after, and that's I think why I remained an operational executive, and why I think some of these companies they just they just deserve to be in the market and to go change. I, I'm gonna uh, first. I, I I agree with uh, everything you just said. I think it's. Uh... It's important to realize that um, there is there are big problems in the world, and most organizations are not actually focused on those problems. They're focused on small problems, um, and most of the money tends to go to things that, quite frankly, may be trivial. Uh, so, having executives with uh, your experience and background choosing to lean into problems that you know, maybe not be the sexiest problems. They may not have uh, the biggest market cap, but could have a greater impact on lives, I think is admirable. Uh, and uh, I want to commend you on that. But I want to take you back to uh, to your childhood. Um, I, I also uh, am a child of scarcity. Um, I came here as a non-documented, undocumented immigrant as a 12-year-old. My parents each worked three jobs and uh, did their very best to, to provide. Uh, but I remember that I was I was really traumatized by by that experience. Uh, you know, as an example, I uh, and I, I'm fortunately they don't do this anymore. It's, it's kind of cruel that they used to do it. But uh, when I was in junior high school, at the lunch line, uh, I would be handing out a small blue coupon that indicated that I was a child that was getting uh, subsidies from the school as opposed to a dollar like the other kids were. Um, yeah. What what experiences did you have uh, in your childhood, and how are they? How are those experiences impacting why you are choosing at this point in your career to focus on problems that are going to improve lives? Well, th- I mean, they had a profound impact when when your your family is doing everything that they n- know how to do. And you're still not able to sustain your lifestyle, like sustaining your lifestyle and going down is, um, it, it's just, it's, it's profoundly impacting. So I think as a child, I just did everything I could to create, um, security. So, you know, by necessity, I became, uh, I'm very mathematical. And so I became kind of highly focused on the math of, interest rates and the math of, of, you know, growth. And, and then, um, 
why I'm working with on these companies now is the 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 bridging the wealth gap is even even if you provide people with tools and and that doesn't solve the challenge of giving them the the skill set to overcome that themselves. Like sometimes they have bigger bigger issues that they're working with that could be mental related or health related, and it's not just. Uh, knowing the math of wealth creation that can have that out- outcome or there's systemic discrimination. Like to your point, you're an immigrant coming into here, you're undocumented. There's systemic um, rules that don't allow you to participate in mainstream. And, and so like in, innovating in that area uh, it was, and, and all the other companies that were in the same area were just, what it, it kind of inspired me with this idea of, um, hey, there's a really big problem here. It's unsolvable. Great. Let's go tackle it. And and I think that, you know, I I have enough skill that in, in that one area that I could help one company. And then I met another company and I could see that they had a really, potentially a really interesting solution to a big problem, but they were struggling to get the company off the ground. And I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll help them too. And then, you know, that's just kind of how my business now is evolving and rolling is the founder role is difficult enough. But then in addition to being a founder and finding the customer and working the dirt into magical clay designs and sculptures that are very valuable, there's just business fundamentals and there isn't enough time to learn all of that. So I can come and, and bring the business fundamentals and help a founding company. And, and maybe sometimes the founder is so blind with passion that they don't see where they're stuck. They don't see that their passion is not allowing them to hear the customer and what the customer wants and is willing to pay for. And without money, businesses don't survive. So I can kind of bridge the gap of, you know, as a passionate founder trying to solve something that's very, very hard and getting stuck with um, my knowledge of what a company needs to be successful. And I can go into these some of these bigger problems that I don't have background in. I wasn't an energy ex- expert six months ago, but man, I know that industry now. <laughs> and And as a result, I I can find the opportunity because it's not that different from than SaaS. It's not that different than software. It's not that different than you know uh, financing a house or a mortgage. Like there's there's always these business um, paradigms that can that can go from one business to another and uh, and kind of re inspire the founder. And then once when a company is generating momentum everybody's engaged it's not stalled if it's moving forward and that's how you create the sculpture and then sometimes when it gets stalled the company everybody kind of feels it but they don't realize it sometimes and then and then the company starts to implode and it, and it and i think i just know now like like either shut the company down cuz this idea shouldn't exist which i haven't had that experience at, or um, find the customer, find the exact market that this is ideal for. 
I, I want to jump on this point that you just made about uh, how there are some fundamental similarities, uh, regardless of the line of business a company's in. Uh, fans of this podcast know that I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Ted Lasso. And one of the interesting themes of Ted Lasso is, of course, Ted Lasso was a football coach, an American football coach who comes to England to coach old-fashioned football or soccer. Um, and as we learn, as, as you watch the show, third and final season uh, concluded a few months back, the fundamentals of leadership and inspiration and getting people through rough patches uh, and helping people believe in themselves are somewhat universal. And I think what I'm hearing you say is, you know what, that's true in business as well. Um, and a lot of the time, founders, much like young athletes or young people doing anything or people that are new to anything, run into things that to them are new. To them, it's, wow, how, where did that come from? But if you've been there, done that, and, and run into it a half a dozen times or a dozen times, uh, you can do one of two things. If you're fortunate enough to get to, if you're a founder that's fortunate enough to have a mentor or or a, or a, a hired gun or partner or an investor uh, that's there with you and can maybe point, you know, uh, help you not run into the wall or to whatever obstacle, that's great. But if you have run into some walls, it sure benefits. It it sure makes life easier to have someone that's run into that wall before or seen that wall before. To help you understand what you're even dealing with, and um, and adjust uh, and and come out of it ideally uh, able to keep pushing forward. Um, tell me about you know your perspective on uh, what I have come from from personal experience and from mentoring and and consulting. Uh, the challenge of having entrepreneurs who are generally speaking self-assured um, and very passionate. How do you help people who are predisposed to believe that they see things clearer than others? Mm. How do you help them avoid running into obstacles or uh, adjusting very quickly when they do? Or even self-sabotage, because I've seen that yeah. as well. Uh, well, I, I don't think that there's any magic. You know, the, the, there's, a, there's a, a principle that that I have, which is, um, there's a, there's a time for learning. People need to be ready to learn. And then there's a time when they're not ready. And so, um, many of the entrepreneurs that I'm working with are in tough situations and some of them have been beaten down a little bit. So, so they're, they believe in their solution, but for some reason it hasn't worked yet. So that's, I don't have the self-assured challenge. But but other ones, you know, are doing really really well, and their and their business is doing well. But but I don't I don't really have a lot of ego in the outcome. I really just want to come in and help and bring um, a, a view of reality. So usually, if there's a situation where I I would prefer that they thought of this challenge prior to hitting the wall, I'll pitch it in a way that they're listening. And if they're, if they're not listening, then I won't pitch it because I'll just wait until the wall happens and then I'll pitch it. <laughs> so, so part of that is just when you're a professional cheese mover, recognize that people hate their cheese being moved. And don't here's another phrase I haven't heard before a professional <laughs> cheese mover, yes. cheese movers, but not professional <laughs> cheese movers. I love that. So is there a league for that professional cheese movers. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I should put that on my card. But, I love that. But, but there's a time. There's a time when when uh, a learning moment can happen, and a time when it can't. And and there's a, that's an art form, and that's that's kind of why I call myself. I don't know if I'm a mentor or a COO. I mean, I I I I love to work, so you know, I can I do pitches, I can do plans, I can do whatever we need to have done. But but really, the important thing is that listening skill and. And if I if I really believe that this hurdle of this wall could be avoided, do a, my best pitch possible. And if they don't want to listen, then I I just let it go. You know, and and hopefully, you know, after the wall is hit, we can have another conversation. But if not, that's okay. I did I did my part, right? Sure. Well, but when they hit that wall, right? There's that failure. There's that. You know, like you mentioned, some some might be at the stage where they're going to implode. Um, how do you how do you keep them on task? How do you rejuvenate that entrepreneurial spirit to keep going and and to dig down deep in order to you know take that next step forward on that path? Um, well, often often it's a today it's it's often not that not as dramatic as it's on the floor the the company's on the floor but but I I have been where it's you know it's my company it's on the floor and and you you go through the framework of you know is this the right problem is this the right market is there a need for this and and if not you know the, the the challenge of sunk costs but i've spent so much money and we've we're already here and now it's on the floor and i've just become really good at saying i know but it's sunk cost don't get tied to it let's be open to what the market is really listening for and it's it's funny that's kind of how i met one of my the companies i'm working with etip which is you know, if you're trying to bridge the wealth gap, turns out that helping people with retirement planning and insurance management and paying off medical debt or something is not something that they think about every day. But if you can help them get slightly more in tipped income by making that more efficient, that's a win-win-win. And that solution is gaining traction in the wealth building market Whereas a tool couldn't, and I and I pivoted. You know, I, I I pivoted hard and said I I need to be with a solution that's got momentum. And the other one, you know, I think that they're going to continue to pivot and find. You know, they're going to continue to find their market, but they haven't found it yet. Yeah. So so the point I'm pulling out of that, um, and I think it's common, is entrepreneurs fall in love with their thesis. They believe they know exactly what problem they want to solve. Uh, oftentimes it's based on well personal bias or personal life experience sure. um, and not nearly enough market research. And generally speaking, you don't really know what you've got until whatever it is you've got meets the marketplace. Um, can you, you know, in, in your experience, how much of that represents the biggest challenge for an entrepreneur just overcoming their own biases and what would you say if that isn't it? What is the greatest pitfall that most founders stumble upon uh, in the earlier phases of their enterprise? Well, I think I think that when you have this great idea, exactly to your point, tell you can find the market evidence through research that there is a problem here that needs to be solved. 
But when you talk to customers or or who you think your customers are, and you say, hey, I want to solve this thing. And they like, oh, I'm not interested in that. It's not my top three. That founders just really need to say, well, then I need to find a different customer or I need to listen to what their top three and build those. And, and that's really hard for a passionate founder, you know? And, and so, you know, my, my advice would be was, well, then that's not your customer. If it's not their top three, keep going until you find someone where it's in their top three. And if you can't find them, then that problem probably isn't going to be solved with this type of solution today. It's just not the right time. Market timing is something that a, that a founder can't control. And there's no fault, no harm, no fault if you if it's the wrong time for the market for that idea. And, and that, I think, helps protect the, the passion, but also sheds a little bit of reality on it. That's really, that's super insightful. I wish I knew you when I was, uh, <laughs> when I had my, one of my previous companies. It would have been, uh, would have been good to listen to you, have a little, have a little clear sightedness in the epic chaos that I was living through. So, uh, it would have been, it would have been great. Well, uh, but, so, but you know, but you know what, PJ, all kidding aside, while, while I, I, I hear you and I think that obviously people like Heather bring tremendous wisdom and any, any founder or young business that's fortunate enough to have a mentor, whether it's Heather or someone like Heather, uh, is advantaged over, uh, an organization that isn't. So I, I would encourage any listener that's, uh, starting a business or in the early phases of a business or in a business that isn't quite hitting the targets you had set for it to make sure that you, you bring in that, you know, that frankly, that voice of reason and honest mm-hmm. broker that's, that might be able to help you see things you couldn't at the same time, there's something to be said for the benefits of struggling. There's something to be said for what you gain out of not getting it right. Oh, yeah. If if you're able to learn lessons, right? So there are two kinds of people in the world and two kinds of entrepreneurs. The ones that uh, see every bit of evidence uh, that counter countermends their point of view uh, as something to break down and break through, and others who who see it as um, you know that's a false flag. It doesn't actually represent what's there. And let me tell you why not. <laughs> and in my career, I've run into both kinds. And I think you can imagine which one I think has has the lasting power. Sure. Um, those that are able to see obstacles for what they are and not assume that that's a, you know, a misrepresentation that um tend to do better. Um and uh and Heather, I, I wonder, is is your experience similar? How have you seen, and, and kind of going back to the question of sabotage, how have you seen entrepreneurs, sometimes very, very, very talented, brilliant people um, who just cannot believe what, <laughs> what the evidence, what their eyes are telling them uh, that, you know, no, you didn't get it right there, that you had a certain thesis and that thesis is not painting out. How, how, how do you, first of all, have you seen it? Is that, is that something you, you've run into? And second, at that juncture, what can you do if you're advising such a person, if you're an investor to such a person, if you're a, you know, a, a, a team member, a colleague, what can you do in moments like that? Um, well, it certainly exists, right? And, and you know, the, the, the good thing is that um, 
often, you know, in, in the the founder will say, I just need, I just need enough money. I just need to raise money. And then this magical thing that I'm doing is going to, is going to grow to, you know, with, with these, these things, but money is an enabler. And so if they're struggling, they don't get the money. And so they, they, you know, what can I say to them is let's have a, let's have a customer meeting together. Like I really dig in. I, I re I redo all their market research. I really look at their and their industry and and their channels and all of that kind of stuff. And then I say, well, let's go talk to a customer together. And and then after we talk to the customer together, I often say, well, what did you hear? And and that that's kind of an important thing because founders often are so busy telling the customer about the magical properties of the product that they're not really listening to what the customer is saying and what their problems are. And, and so, you know, and then it's just straight talk after that. It's like, you know, here's what I heard. Here's what you heard. Huh? Well, you know, what's the next step? And, and if you can bring the customer and the founder together around the same funded problem, right? Funded is important. Um, then we can start going forward because now we can say that the that the the problem that the customer has actually is maybe what we were building, but maybe in a slightly different form or a different marketing position or a different uh, and and in fact that their invention does have a market, but the customer needs to understand what they're doing in the customer's framework. And, you know, that's often, um, I'm buying energy. How, how much is this cheaper? Uh, how much is the capital expense and the return on investment? Well, you know, you can't, that, that's a hard fact. And the invention that I'm delivering needs to fit into that model. And the customer might say three or four times, I really like what you're doing, but it needs to fit our, our business uh, expectations. Well, if they've said that three times, I think the to-do is to go back and do the business expectations against the product, right? So so I always put it in a positive light of, well, the next step is to build what we're doing in, in the frame that the customer is asking us to do that. And if the if the if the founder is adamant that no, this problem just really needs to be solved, then at some point, um, I just say, well, I just don't think this is a business and yet, and I believe your passion, but I don't see how what you're doing is hitting the market yet, you know? And, and I, I just, I mean, I, I just kind of have to let that one go. Yeah. I, 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 one of the things that I do is I, uh, I mentor young uh, entrepreneurs and I, and I take meetings with young CEOs, oftentimes of companies that are little more than the CEO's business plan and the CEO. And, uh, and I can tell usually within five minutes, um, how likely they are to have any shot at all. Um, and I would say that the most common indicator that they have a shot is that they start from a place of curiosity. They are keenly interested in trying to understand a problem. Yes. Those who come at it from a place of, I have a solution. Um, and I'm going to tell you all the ways that my solution works, 
and the technical elements of it, and they're missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. Curiosity um, is in, yeah. imperative. In a founder, you can have passion about a problem, but if you're not curious about how that problem is being handled in the world, you're you're probably going to be inefficient in your execution. And if you're not relating to the customer how your solution is going to positively impact them, instead of just talking about benefits and, and bells and whistles, you're going to miss the point anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the example that I have is, you know, climate change is a, is a very real problem, but there's a lot of solutions out there. And so to say, well, my, my solution reduces CO2, okay, I get that. There's lots of CO2, tons and tons. How much, how important is that on the customer's buying agenda? And then when we talk to the heads of the sustainability group, they go, well, you know, there's 10 business requirements that have to be met that have to do with cost and return and, you know, all the aspects of our, our business, how it's being run by the CFO. And then there's a bonus credit for sustainability. Well, okay. So, you know, like, like that, that, that's, yes, it's important. Don't get me wrong, but we need to also have it fit into the business buying characteristics. In, in general, whenever you hear yeah. a statement from a client or potential client or potential customer that ends with, but, okay, they'll, they'll say <laughs> X, Y, Z, comma, B-U-T, you've got a fit issue, okay? And so yeah. listen very carefully. Don't, don't, don't listen so hard to what came before the but. That oftentimes is them trying to be kind, but listen very, very hard to what comes after the but because that is potentially where the solution is or where exactly. the problem is. Exactly. And, and you know, it's, it's uh, for me, like, because... I've been trained to listen that way, then I can go back in and ask the questions of the founders and the assumption and the product and, and figure out whether it fits. And they just maybe didn't have the skills to understand the business requirements. And when you hit, when you nail it, when like, I'm very excited about the companies that I'm working with because I believe they can have a profound and meaningful impact. Because I've done the due diligence to go back in and figure that out. Now it's early. We're not at the market yet, right? Like every founder, you have to just be, be you know, baby steps. But um, but it was just they didn't, they didn't, they just weren't listening and and they hadn't done that extra piece of work. But when we did it, it worked, right? So that, that's like the the tenacity piece. Don't give up. It's not that what you were saying about CO2 is not important. It's just secondary to other things that we just got to go figure out. Let's do the work. How much can we produce this thing for? And how much energy can it re replace? And how do we build the business case? And, and you know what? I think we nailed it. So that's, that's exciting. You had uh, mentioned before that uh, sometimes scarce resources or skill gaps might be excuses for hiding deeper issues. So mm -hmm. give us, give us an example of that, of, of something to look out for. Well, if you, um, if you had a, a, a company, a normal company that uh, has customers 
then you're making profit and you're paying your employees and, and you're paying for your manufacturing, right? So that's kind of at a, at a healthy state. But a founder will come in with an idea and they say, well, it's going to cost a million dollars to go build the first prototype. And, you know, I need to raise a million dollars. Therefore, you know, I can't do anything more and I'm stuck here. But in fact, that that fortunately, investors don't typically um, sign off on that. Right. And and because you could build that. And if you weren't listening to the customer and uh, doing the rest of the work, then you'd have a product that after a million dollars was now sunk cost. So so when people say, I just need money, I say, no, we just need customers. Go get the contracts, go get the signed future things, and then we'll go raise money. Like go do the work and then we'll come back in and, and, and get that second piece. And by the way, you'll be in a much better negotiating position. So that's a win-win. And Let's then the same thing with, with, with skill sorry. gaps is, you know, we all, we all, I mean, I, I, there's some things I don't do well, lots of things I don't do well. And I know them really well because I work with people who are best at, best in the industry. And I know I'm not that good, but sometimes I'm the only one we got. <laughs> so I'll give it my best effort and then know that, that uh, uh, is the company's bigger we'll do better at that particular role, which is usually marketing for me. Usually it's visual marketing, right? I, I want to take advantage of the fact that uh, today is September 18th, which is International Equal Pay Day, which is a day dedicated mm. to working to close the gender pay gap around the world. Um, and I'll go on a limb and say that you are, uh, you, you've, you've had moments in your career where you have... Uh, been either the only or one of the only women in the room. Uh, can you talk to us about that? Can you talk about the challenge of particularly technology, uh, but in general, in very, very senior positions? Um, uh, did, did, what did you face and and what would you what, what would be a recommendation to a young woman that is uh, starting out as an entrepreneur, as a leader? Uh, what what would be your you know two or three key pieces of advice? Uh, at this stage, uh, from what you've experienced, what you've learned. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it's a it's a great question. Uh, it, it's very close to my heart. Um, I in early on in my career, I remember uh, reaching out to my executive team and saying, "Hey, you know, I know there's this management position open. I'd like to be considered for it." And then they say, "Well, you know, you and your peer, male peer, he is he is a family." So he gets the job. And at the time I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. Right. And it doesn't make sense. That's a terrible thing to say. And hopefully people don't say that anymore. But I, I, I don't know if pay equity has changed that much. I think that um, the bar for women and their performance is just higher. Uh, and, um, and so that's my bias. But I am um, excited when I see the next generation. So my children are in the workforce now and they're not taking any guff. They're great negotiators. They're, they're you know, that would be um, not, not something that they would even understand, you know, that kind of a comment. 
And so I, I think that, and, and the other thing that I think is really interesting when I watch them and I try not to tell them my bad stories, cause I don't want to bias them, you know, like what's your situation who said, what, you know, what, what's going on. And I can see that they're, they're better at standing up for their, um, positions and they're just better at, at, uh, not allowing that to happen. And, um, when they manage large numbers of people, they do it with a female touch, if that makes sense. They're more, um, they're bringing a listening ear, they're bringing a coaching ear. And I believe that the leadership styles between male, male type and female type is best suited when the company can operate with both. So I'm I'm kind of excited with the next generation, but but in in my experience, we just you you couldn't have a work life balance. You couldn't be late because your child was in daycare or sick or anything like that. You just had to put in the three x more to to be there, and I I don't think that's great. So that's my you know it it, it, it definitely feels like we have moved forward uh, yeah. in material ways. Uh, for lots of reasons, whether it's uh, uh, the the fact that we have really, I believe, uh, done well fighting against uh, any kind of sexual harassment in the workplace. I think that has been cut down considerably. I'm, hopefully, I'm not deluding myself in saying that. Um, and that, you know, we are, we're, we generally speaking, have a greater appreciation for the fact that every human being matters. And everyone deserves an opportunity, regardless of their background, regardless of their gender, regardless of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, people need to be measured and people need to be appreciated for themselves as individuals and not as representatives of a greater group. Um, and I think we've made major strides in that direction. I I want to hope that, um, you know, that the, the generation that is essentially becoming the uh, the leadership uh, the, the generation that's taking over leadership positions as, as, you know, generation X and others uh, in some cases begin to retire or step back uh, that they're going to keep that topic close to their hearts uh, because there is simply no, uh, there's, there's, there's no disputing that organizations that are, that bring in uh, people from all walks of life and that, that embrace uh, masculine and feminine energy, uh, do better period. And, uh, if, if you're pushing back against that, you're pushing back against history. So, yeah. um, yeah, I, I know that you and I are aligned on that. Um, well, you also look at the statistics of, um, invest women invested companies deliver better returns, right? So, you know, there, there is a lot to saying that um, uh, letting, allowing uh, the experience of everyone um, at the executive table makes the company much, much stronger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the job's the job, right? The, the outcome is the outcome. Exactly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whose hands are doing it. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, well let let's pivot to some fun things that there in your uh in the answers you provided us in the uh pre-interview there was one fact i honestly did not remember <laughs> which is that we once com we once competed against each other for a deal and apparently i won and you lost can you rem can you refresh my memory what are we talking about <laughs> are you pouring salt a, in a wound is that what you're doing it, yeah exactly i worked for 1010 data 
and uh-huh. um, we were competing for a portal. Uh, I think it was in the beverage industry. I don't remember who the customer was. And uh, we knew that you were one of the other uh, candidates, your company. And we were we were confident that we had the best technology platform. But at the time, I barely knew the nuances of the beverage industry. And so it, after we lost, I looked you up and I'm like, huh, what do they do? And why are they so great? And what's the nuances here? And it turns out that your your team just knew the nuances of beverage distribution. And it's different than um, CPG distribution because of the way it's scanned and the way it's credited. And there was a lot of nuances to it. And we could have built something, but we didn't know going. We were, you know, again, it was that product first. It's all those mistakes, product first, without knowing the the real customer issues. And it was a wake-up call. And probably one of the incentives for me to really dig into the retail industry deeply, which was one of my first deep dives. Uh, it was very good for me as a failure. <laughs> wow. Failure I got to say, I did not remember good. that at all. I thought that you and I had met each other when you were at IBM and IBM and we were working on some things together, but maybe I just had it completely wrong. And that's how we met. But that's, 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 that's fascinating. That's um, the other funny. thing that I thought was really interesting. Well, first you, you shared a data point with us that I certainly was not aware of, which is that 60 minutes of solar energy, 60 minutes. Yeah. Could power the earth for a year. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, if we could I, just I, capture it without losses. Yeah. Is that ever, is that realistic? Is that something that could ever, I mean, uh, this, is that uh, even on the radar that something like that could happen? Well, it's that it's not, it's not realistic today because that's solar radian energy it's not electricity that comes through the grid to us or it's not in our solution solar thermal which is energy stored as hot water or cold water right so uh yeah it's in what are you nodding for pj you have no idea what you just said you do you? i don't <laughs> Hey, hey. <laughs> we, we've been doing that. You know, we, we've had guests here that are giving us way too much credit for knowing science. There's a reason I was an English major in college. I I, <laughs> I just don't know. You just said, Heather, it sounded sounded right. I'm going to assume you're right. I'm sure you're right. I'm, but I'm I had no enough, idea what you were saying. I'm enough, and neither did PJ. Hold on. Come buddy. on. I am enough <laughs> of a science fiction nerd to sit there and go uh-huh. like, oh, this makes sense. Yes. Radiant energy versus stored energy. I got it. It's all, it's all. Yeah, you got it's a, it? it's, there's a lot of okay. energy loss. Like, yeah. uh, as you know, as we um, make our houses more energy efficient, uh, that's becoming a thing for everybody. Then we're not the, for, well, what does that mean? That means losing less energy. Okay. Well, where do I lose the energy? Through your window, by doing recirculating heated water throughout your house. And, and, you know, again, you got to dig in like that. That is just for me. Like, that's what I do is I dig in now. It's like, well, what does that mean? And what's the math behind that? And I'm not afraid of math, but man, there's a lot of conversion in energy <laughs> from BTUs to therms to, <laughs> to dollars to whatever, you know, tell you, you'll see. I, uh, I'm a master of nothing, but I know enough to be dangerous on some things. On some things. Okay. So, well, that's good. That's good to know. I, you are now the guy I will turn to when when someone raises some 
that's right. science fact that Absolutely. I don't know the first thing Especially about. Especially the only science course I took at the University of Maryland, and I I am not even slightly kidding, was botany, botany, and I got a D, a uh, D in botany. To tell you the truth, I hated all science except for physics. Physics was the one science that I was like, oh, I can get into this. I understand this stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so that's that's physics not rocks. I. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. PJ usually usually closes our our interviews with with the same question. I'm gonna I'm given given the honor of doing that, but before he does, I just want to tell you that it's uh, it's great to reconnect with you. It's been some time, but uh, I I always enjoyed our conversations. I think you are uh, someone that, first of all, you're uh, genuinely kind, uh, and I think that that matters. And uh, and you're also you also know what you're talking about, and that that's always helpful. Um, in general, I I think that. You know, more people talk about things they don't understand, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm very quick to admit when someone tells me something that I have no background or experience or knowledge of, I don't even want to pretend for a second that I know what they're talking about. And I find that a lot of people do. <laughs> they will pretend they know something when they of don't. Course. And it's something that you don't do. I, I And I admire that a lot about you. So I just wanted to to, to put that out there before PJ asks our closing question. Well, and also Thanks. I just, I just want to say, um, I know we've, we've called you a, a powerhouse, which you've proven to be that you have, uh, you've worn a moniker of wizard. I actually would think that you are a highly learned and very intelligent Jiminy cricket. That's, that's what, that's what I see you as, right? Like you're sitting on the shoulder of all these guys going, no, 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 no. Come, you should think about this now, right? Like, you're you're you have a very gentle way of of uh, giving advice. Did you, did you say highly learned Jiminy Cricket? Is yes. that what you just said? Yes, I did. <laughs> All right, I I think we have yet another shirt. The shirt store we're gonna open. I want to do the edamame highly shirt. learned Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Put that yeah. on your card. Um, what's my what's my closing? Well, normally, yes. Like, what is what is one thing, one piece of advice? that you would provide that you think would be beneficial to anyone who's going on their journey, things that you have seen, um, you know, whether it be avoidance of a pitfall or, uh, the, the right level of brass ring to grab. What's, what's your one piece of advice for someone who is braving business today? Well, so I would, I think that my advice is to kind of embrace failure when you're in a situation where you're there's a risk of failure or perhaps there's recent failure, you're probably learning the most. And learning is probably the most valuable thing to build your career. So I think that's what I would encourage people to do. Because if you don't learn, how can you be a highly learned Jiminy Cricket? That's, what, I, that's all I'm I saying. I love <laughs> learning. So I I think that 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 uh, it's um it's a joy to work with all these incredible people who who are trying to solve really hard problems and it's it's wonderful to team with them and explore and do that but man i got a lot of learning to keep up with them sure and i don't want to waste their time so yeah we all pull our weight right that's right that's awesome and, and you know, and you know what that is that is a good way to to end i think in general uh, all of us should constantly aspire to learn more improve our knowledge, improve our appreciation, curiosity uh, is where it's at. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll quote one of our earlier guests, Francisco Sanchez, and he said something we've all heard before. 
we have one mouth and two ears and there's a reason for that. Um, so I'd encourage you if you're out there, uh, to listen and learn. Our guest today, uh, was Heather Dawson. She has accomplished some amazing things. She's been a part of three successful exits. Uh, she's now involved in some exciting companies that are doing important work. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you with us, Heather. And, uh, we'd love to have you back someday telling us more about, uh, about how Ergsol is, is making the world, uh, is, is reducing carbon in the world and hopefully how ETIP is making, more people, uh, bringing more people into uh, into middle class life. Yeah. I, I would be delighted. It's it's been delightful uh, talking with both of you, and I um, tell as we get to know each other more and more. Uh, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, guys. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for being a part of the Braving Business Podcast listening audience. Be on the lookout for our weekly interviews with fascinating leaders in business and gain insight into their mindset of how they took to braving business in their own lives and careers. Check us out on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all of your favorite streaming services. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast. 